Jewish Money Matters, episode 245, How to Make More Money and Feel Good with Derek Kinney. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters, the podcast where Jewish wisdom and spirituality meet your money and your business. Money is a means to serve God in this world with joy, to build a life that leaves an imprint way beyond our time in this world. I want you to discover the secrets to Jewish wealth, to gain practical and spiritual tools to break free from the shackles of financial worry, to design the joyful, rich life that your soul desires. Welcome to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, and I'm so glad you're here. You're listening to Jewish Money Matters. I'm Yael Trush, your host. Welcome to the show. Today's show is all about money mindset, specifically developing a good one. Derek Kinney's on the show. Derek is the CEO of the Good Money Framework and host of the popular Good Money Podcast. After years in the financial planning industry, Derek sold his practice and is dedicating his career to teaching people how to have more money and feel really good about it. His new book is Good Money Revolution, How to Make More Money and Do More Good. And we like the sound of that around here don't we? Derek is a sought after guest on local and national media, having been interviewed on CNBC, Fox News, CNN, Fox Business, PBS, and the Wall Street Journal, among others. This interview is replete with stories, and I guarantee you will be able to relate to some of what the protagonists of Derek's stories, many of whom are clients of his or have been clients of Derek's, experience and feel. I think you could really relate to these stories. Are you ready to make more and feel really great about it? Here's Derek Kinney. Derek Kinney, welcome to Jewish Money Matters. How are you? It's so great to have you on the show. Well, thank you, Yael. It's great to be with you. I have looked forward to this conversation. This should be a lot of fun. Me too. I'm always open for a good money mindset combo because as you know, you know, we tend to put a lot of emphasis on the mechanics, but there's a lot of the mindset work that if we're not doing, we're never going to get the mechanics right. <laughs> and you're you know exactly that right. well, yep. right? Yep. And you know that well, I, you're on a mission to really make sure that we get this principle that money is good. And I like I like how you've like branded, you know, the CEO of the Good Money Framework, you have the Good Money Podcast, and now you came out with your new book, Good Money Revolution. I'm so excited to dive in. Um, and, and I should say that the subtitle of that book is how to make more money and do more good. So let's dive in so much to unpack here. But before we get into the Good Money Framework and the book, why don't you tell us, Derek, how did you arrive at this line of work? Because it's not that many of us who decide I have to educate people about money and change their, help them change their relationship with it, with it. How did you arrive at this? Well, let me go back about 25 years when I first became a financial advisor. I was working for a small software company here in Fort Worth. And I realized that wasn't what I wanted to do the rest of my life. Mm. I'd gotten passed over for a raise. I had my paycheck bounced a couple of times by the small company I worked for. Things were not looking good. And I always enjoyed money. I liked investing money. I liked making money. But I realized if I stayed at that company, I wasn't going to make much money because someone else was telling me what my worth was. Mm. And for me to truly bet on myself, I would need to start my own business and take the risk. And that's what I chose to do. So while working full-time, it took about six months of working in the evenings and studying, working on the weekends to get all of my licenses. And that's when I began my financial planning practice. So now let me take you back to roughly July of 2019. I go on a yearly sabbatical every year. It's a time to get away completely by myself to think and pray and journal. And I always ask myself three questions. Mm -hmm. How can I be a better husband? How can I be a better father? And how can I be a better business owner? And this particular sabbatical, Gael, I was really processing one question. And that was, what do I want the next phase of my life to look like? And I began to write out a list of all the things that I enjoyed doing. And I wrote out writing a book, launching a podcast, coaching, speaking, this long list. And surprisingly, what wasn't on that list anymore was being a financial advisor. Now, I had to take a step back because I loved working with clients, loved managing money, but I realized it wasn't bringing me as much joy as it once was. Mm. And that was the time when I realized it's probably time to sell the practice to go full on into launching Good Money Framework to really help take my message to the masses, to help them learn that money isn't bad 
And it's actually good. And the more good we can do with it, the more good we can do in the world. Mm, I love I love the story because you took us to, first of all, the first part of your story where you realized, listen, if I really want to add more value and make more money, I got to go on my own. I can't be limited to somebody else, right? That entrepreneurial journey. I love, I love that. Um, and now I'm going to ask you about the second part of the story, your sudden realization that, Hey, I've been doing this. I've been liking it for a long time. It really, it really nourished me and I enjoyed building this practice, but evidently it's not coming up as what I see in my future. You said that you wanted to get more to the core of teaching people about their mindset and their belief about money, that money is good. You Do you arrive at that because you start seeing that over the years as an advisor, this was kind of underlying and yet you because you were set into certain things that you needed to do as an advisor, you weren't able to really dig deep into that and you kept seeing it over and over again? Yeah, that's a lot to unpack there, y'all. Let me kind of take that piece by piece. You know, mm-hmm. I loved working with clients and some of the biggest concerns, let me take you into my office for a little bit. Yes. They would share with me, Derek, how can I retire? How can I save for the dream house I want? How can I get out of debt? And one story in particular really stands out to me. And that was that a gentleman named Dave came in the office and he was a longtime client. And I could just tell the weight of the world was on his shoulders this particular day. And we exchanged some small talk. And I said, Dave, tell me what's happening. I can tell there's really something bothering you. So he begins to tell me, he said, Derek, I love my business, but I'm just not into it anymore. I don't love getting up in the morning, going to the office as much as I used to. And that really concerns me. And for some reason, what shot out of my mouth, Yael, was, is there a cause that you care deeply about? Mm-hmm. Well, I could tell the question really stunned him. He sat back and he began to tell me a story Several years earlier, he and his family had gone overseas on a trip. In this particular village that they went to, he remembered the tour guide talking about they needed a schoolhouse built because the kids were not getting educated, and it was really holding back this entire community from achieving their full potential. And he remembered exchanging a glance with his wife as if to say, wouldn't it be cool to fund that school? Mm -hmm. So they get back to the States. Life gets busy, the business, kids, and so forth. They forget all about it. But Mm -hmm. my question suddenly brought it back into a stream of consciousness. And I said, Dave, what if you did this? What if over the next several months, you set a sales goal and you took half of that increase and you used that to fund the school? Well, his eyes got as big as saucers and he realized this could be possible. So we exchanged some more small talk. He left that day. He comes back in three months later to my office. He looks completely different. He looks younger. He looks more engaged. He looks like he's all into it. I said, Dave, how you looked at three months ago is completely different than now. What happened? He said, Derek, I need to be honest with you. I was a bit skeptical when you told me about saving and having this sales goal and funding the school. But guess what? We did it. We have funded half of that school by sharing with my client base, well, what's now called our generosity purpose. And that was, it got them involved in the process. Here was a guy who was basically almost out of his business, completely now re-engaged because he connected his cause to a cash, Mm -hmm. money to meaning, and it gave him new purpose. And so that's what I would tell many of your listeners right now, that whether they own a business or they're just an individual investor, if you can tie a cause to it, it begins making money more meaningful and gives you a reason to go make a lot of it because then you can do a lot more good in the world. Yes. Now, in let's take the example of Dave. Could we say, Derek, that perhaps at an earlier point in his life, because we're talking, we're really talking about the why, right? Like the right. why behind it all. Why are we investing? Why are we saving? Why are we doing all? Why are we working so hard? Right. And the minute that, 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 sunk like that came back to him he was ready to get back to work right because that why became so clear and he had such a purpose why to get up in the morning and do those sales goals and do all the things right 
Could we say that perhaps 10 years earlier, five years earlier, maybe 15 years earlier, his why was a different why? Maybe it was putting his kids through college. Maybe it was, you know, buying a property. And that was enough of a motivator. But over time, these things change for us. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And for many people listening, they're really writing their own story right now. And what Mm -hmm. I would tell people is, first of all, whatever the story you've written so far doesn't mean your next chapter has to look the same. Right. And so many people have had, and we'll talk about this in a few minutes about bad money beliefs, or I'm going to press pause on that part of it. But answering your question, I think it's very important for people to look back in their own rearview mirror and say to yourself, were there some causes that were important to you earlier in your life that you have let life sort of drowned out Mm -hmm. because of the busyness you've experienced? Mm -hmm. So for example, in Dave's case, yes. He was excited early on to build the business, to bring his kids into the business, to to have a product that people really wanted. But then it began to be so easy. The money was good. His bank account was stuffed full, but his meaning and his heart were empty. And that was the difference right there. So I think many other business owners, especially as we emerge from COVID, People are rethinking, you know, money is great, but what if I could do some great things with it? And I'll I'll tell you a story. You know, there's so many movies out and they always talk about when people are on their deathbed and they look back on their lives and they say, if only I had given more money, if only I had done the things I wanted to do, then I could have a life of meaning. Or they think, you know what, once I die, then my legacy kicks in. Mm-hmm. I want to give people another option. And I think it's an attractive option. That is, what if you lived every day with meaning? So when your head hits the pillow at night, every single day, you know, you added value to people's lives, you help solve their problems, and you help the cause you care deeply about help solve their problem as well. Mm-hmm. And so you're living a life of meaning every single day. And by the way, you're making even more money because people want to be a part of something bigger and they're willing to pay more for your product or service because there's a cause associated with it. Oh, I love that. I love that. So why don't we get a little tactical and talk about the good money framework? I'm really intrigued by the way you've developed and and the, the system you've developed around this. Yeah. So the good money framework was really born out of 25 years of working with clients I would hear from people, you know, Derek, I want to save for a new house. I want to Mm -hmm. save for the vacation. I want to retire. But underneath that, they wanted more. And they would achieve those goals. And they thought achieving the goal itself would be the fulfillment they wanted. But it actually wasn't. And it was shocking to them that that didn't give them the sense of meaning and fulfillment they wanted. So what we began to do is could we tie a cause that was important to them? Mm -hmm. This is the beauty of this. You know, back when I was a kid, we had these books called Choose Your Own Adventure, okay? Okay. And the way they worked is you'd open the book and you'd read the first chapter. And let's say it was a, a damsel in distress wanting to meet Prince Charming. Well, the end of the chapter would say, if you want to go back into the castle and try to find the prince, go to page 53. If you want to help slay the dragon, go to page 24. Well, at the end of every chapter, it guided you based on where you wanted to go. And so much of our lives, I think people think that because I was told by someone, here's what you're going to do in your life, or here's a past mistake I made that has held me back people become almost remote control that they have to keep doing the same thing. And what I want to do is give people a big eraser right now and just erase the whiteboard of their life and say, look, let's restart. Let's start over again. And I think that's very, very important right now. But when you think about the framework, what I didn't want to do was say, let's start with your number one financial goal. Instead, what is your generosity purpose? Mm -hmm. And so what this is, is When you think about whether you were a kid, whether it was last week, think about a cause that for a long time you thought to yourself, I don't have enough money or the time to really make an impact, but that really bothers me. Mm -hmm. There's an injustice I see in the world. There's a wrong I want to right. There's a cause I care deeply about. It may be clean water, homelessness, poverty, uh, human trafficking, whatever it is for you And you've thought, what could I really do? This is my invitation to you to make a difference. And so writing that down, that this is the cause I care deeply about. And by helping contribute to this, 
I will feel, and this is the important part, Gael, and that is attaching an emotion to it. I will feel confident. I will feel like I made a difference. I will feel like I am in control of my money. And it's that emotion that you can attach to your money that really causes people to do well. So that's step number one. Mm-hmm. And step number two is, and we want to, let me, before I say step number two, think about when you said New Year's resolutions. So mm-hmm. many people over-goal themselves. They, they talk about, I want to lose weight. I want to get a new relationship. I want to get out of debt. I want to get a new pet. I want to have a new hairstyle. And in two weeks, they're overwhelmed because they've accomplished none of it. What I want to do is let's make it very simple. All of us have super busy lives. You work eight to five, nine to five, you come home. The last thing you want to do is focus on your goals for many people. So take out a sticky note or a note card and simply write out your top three financial goals. Mm -hmm. That's it. I want to get out of debt. I want to save for retirement. I want to see my grandkids have a great education. Okay, whatever those may be for you personally. And then you want to write out on a sticky note, stick that on your bathroom mirror, Mm -hmm. put it on your nightstand, put it on your car dashboard. The bottom line is if you get really focused, you get clarity on what's important to you. And suddenly those minor goals begin to take care of themselves because you're focused. Mm -hmm. And you want to write down, let's say it's, I want to get, $10,000 out of debt this year. I want to save $10,000 for retirement. Whatever it is for you and your situation, it gets you laser focused. And one of the bigger pieces of the framework, I want to share this is how can you make more money? You know, I meet so many people that, Derek, I don't feel like I'm paid what I'm worth. I'm Mm -hmm. not getting paid what I deserve. And I will ask him, well, how much money do you want to make? And the question they always say is more. Well, that doesn't get us very far. What I need you to do is figure out how much specifically do you want to make? If right now, as you listen to this, if you're making $100,000 a year and you want to make 125, well, now we know you want to make an extra $25,000 a year. Now we can go into problem solving mode to help with that. So if you're working for a company right now and you get raises, you have a unique opportunity. We know that people are going to get paid more this year. The great resignation companies want to retain quality people. They'll pay you more, but with inflation close to 10% and a 4% salary increase, you're still behind 6%. So what you need to do is write out, how can you add more value to the company you're at right now? Mm -hmm. What could you do to increase sales, reduce costs, grow the bottom line? And let me tell you a quick story. Debbie came into my office a couple of years ago, and Debbie was excited about joining this startup engineering firm. But a year and a half into this, she felt overlooked and underappreciated. She said, Derek, I want to make more money, but I don't know how. And I said, let's think about your job. Now, she worked in as an administrative assistant. So Mm -hmm. she wasn't in sales or things like that where she could really influence her income. She coordinated all of the supplies for the company. And I said, what if you did this? What if you found a way to save money on all the supplies for the business? And you know, your, your boss know, look, for all the savings I come up with, how about you bonus me 10% of those savings? Okay. So that was a way where the company saved 90% and she was rewarded 10%. That was idea number one. Idea number two was what if she recognized that her boss was working and servicing all these clients, but he was out of capacity to do it? She said, what if I got my license as a engineering assistant and took a quarter of those clients off his plate, I began to service them myself, which allowed him more capacity to grow the business. So she takes these ideas to her boss. Her boss loves them, okay, because nobody else is talking about this, agreed to give her a $5,000 raise as soon as she completed her designation but also it gave her a commission base that based on new business she generated from this 25% of the client base, it gave her an immediate lever of income increase. So the bottom line is this, wherever you're listening right now, whether you're the receptionist, you're in sales, whatever that may be, you don't want to just bang on the door and, and demand a raise. That is old school. The new school way is how can I add value in the company I'm at right now? Because if you add value, you're going to become a more valued employee. And we know that where 
you know, money flows where value goes. If you're adding value, then you become a much more valuable employee, especially right now, companies want to retain people who add value. Absolutely. It goes back to that. Wherever you are, even if you're an employee, you have to be entrepreneurial, right? What you just described is the mindset of an entrepreneur, right? Yes. Where am I going to add value, right? It's, it's, not, it's not an employee mindset. And that's what, that's what companies are looking for. Um, and if, let's say that conversation went south, well, now you have a different mindset that perhaps you could take on your own. <laughs> Right, because you know, right? sometimes those conversations don't don't go so well, but it's definitely worth having. Um, and you'll find plenty of companies nowadays who definitely appreciate that. And if not, then you definitely know that know that you can go on your own. So we talked about the three steps. So so we're choosing a cause and we're attaching also an emotion to that giving muscle or that that cause that we're aligning ourselves with. Um, remind me, what was the second one? Well, the next step is picking out three simple financial goals. Oh, yes. Three simple financial goals. And then we talked about making more money, right? That's right. Um, So talking about that, because see, in in this example that you just gave me, it sounds like maybe she didn't have too many misgivings around money or negative beliefs. What, what, What often happens is between the stage of you giving... Uh, let's take this person, these ideas to an individual and then them having to have those, that conversation, there tends to be a friction or a resistant point where people say, there's no way, like I, I can't even, I, I, I can't even talk about money with my boss in this way. Right. And it's all because there's just this programming and, and we're so uncomfortable. So why don't we go there a little bit? Because that worked for her. She Maybe she had worked those out for herself or she didn't have them. But many people do have that resistance to either negotiate and come up with those ideas for their employer or go out and charge more or come up with new products that they should be selling or increase their visibility online or wherever it might be, right? Um, in order to generate the income that they want in order to serve the causes that they want to serve. Well, until the pain is great, the change does not occur. And what I would tell people listening right now is, you know, think about the story of Debbie I just told, which was a true story. Debbie was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And she recognized that nothing was going to change unless she changed something. And I think many people listening right now may be saying to themselves, that's how I feel. You know, I want to make more money. And I'm nervous about approaching my boss. But if you don't approach your boss, you're just going to stay nervous and be Mm -hmm. underpaid. Mm -hmm. And so what I want to tell people right now is a very empowering message. And that is, if you have confidence in yourself and you're adding value to the company, Mm -hmm. it's clearly in your boss's interest to listen to you. And if not, you could always change jobs. You could start something on your own. But what I like to do is start where your feet are right now. Mm -hmm. So many people think, I'm going to start this brand new company. I'm going to do this. Bottom line is just ask for the raise, but do it in a way where you're adding value to people. Now, let's go back to what can hold people back, those bad money beliefs. Mm -hmm. Let me me take you back to many people's childhoods right now. Yeah. How many of you saw mom or dad or grandma or grandpa bang their fist on the kitchen table and say, if only we had more money, then we could do this. Mm -hmm. And as a child, you began to see, oh, the lack of money, which apparently we have a lot of means we can't have the life that other people have. Mm -hmm. Or you might've heard, you know, Derek, there's the haves and the have nots. And our family is part of the have nots. Mm -hmm. Well, when you see or hear that as a child growing up, It dramatically influences how you see the world, opportunities you have, and the risk you choose not to take. And let me tell you just a fascinating story. So I was in the office a couple years ago on a Saturday morning, Mm -hmm. catching up, and I began to see my voicemail light blinking. Mm -hmm. And a voice inside said, Derek, you need to answer that, and you need to listen to this message. So I pressed the button, and to my shock was the sound of one of my clients in a frantic woman's voice. She said, Derek, you have to call me back as soon as you get this. I bounced a check and I'm going to go to jail. 
What? Well, if you can imagine <laughs> my shock when I heard those words and I quickly called her back and I said, you know, tell me what happened. She said, Derek, I can't believe this. I accidentally didn't move money from savings to checking. I wrote a check. I got this letter in the mail that says non-sufficient funds, which means I bounced a check and now I'm going to go to jail. I said, okay, hold on. I said, first of all, let's take the check part first. I'm going to call you on Monday. This was Saturday. As a courtesy, you and I can call the bank together. We'll make sure the money's moved from checking or rather from savings over to checking. You might pay a little bit of money to do it, but we'll get that taken care of. But I said, the bigger thing you said was, I'm going to go to jail. Now tell me why you said that. So she begins to tell me a story back when she was a kid. She was seven years old. She overheard a conversation with her dad talking to a store manager. And the manager told her dad, because you bounced a check and her dad was buying school supplies and clothes for her and her siblings, he accidentally bounced a check. He said, because you bounced this check, I'm going to call the police and I'm going to put you in jail. Well, as you can imagine, this seven-year-old daughter began to connect. Oh my gosh, my dad might go to jail. And if you bounce a check, you're going to go to jail. And so she was 55 years old now. What that comment revealed to me was it gave me a whole new perspective on she and I's relationship. I had recommended over 15 years in our relationship, great investment ideas that had done very, very well, but she was hesitant to take them. Mm. She was very low on the risk scale and didn't want to make any decisions. And that gave me perspective because she realized you know, Derek, I'm not good with money. And if I mess up, I'm going to go to jail, which for many people sounds crazy, but here it's a trigger. So I would just tell people this. If you can think back in your life of where someone might've told you, Hey, you're not good with money, or you might've made a really dumb financial decision that was based on your best financial thinking, but it was just a screw up that you made. You've got to forgive yourself and say that doesn't define you going forward. Once she and I had this discussion that, you know, just because you saw that at age seven doesn't mean at age 55 that has to define you. It was a brand new free moment for her. Mm -hmm. She began to listen more to my advice, was making more money. She actually got a job promotion within about a year because it changed her perspective that her past had passed and it did not define what her future had to look like. Yes, it's so important to go to go back and look at that those earliest money memories and what we might be believing that as seven, eight, 10 year olds, that's, you know, we made those decisions with the mindset of a child without, you know, all the information. (laughs) But now we could do better. But it's it's very interesting that she was so triggered, because I think it happens to all of us. Um, We just don't recognize it. We don't recognize that. All of a sudden, that's the seven year old, not the 55 year old talking. Well, and I'll, and I'll tell you this, you know, so many people, I think, lump money into those forbidden fruit conversations. Uh-huh. They think, well, you've got, we can't talk about religion, we can't talk about politics, and we sure can't talk about money. Right. And what I want to do is remove the stigma from money, because if we don't talk about it, then we can't say money is no longer bad, money is good. Right. And I want to motivate people to go make a lot of it by adding great value. I mean, if you think about yeah. it, if you if you have a small business right now or you've ever thought about one, it's all about adding value and how can you decommoditize yourself? For example, I could work with any attorney, any real estate agent, any financial advisor, any salesperson, and the product or service looks pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. But how do I decommoditize myself and stand out as the person of choice in my community? It's by your generosity purpose. If you can say to people, look, I want to add so much value to you. And I want to tell you about a cause that's really important to me. And you tell a story as to why this matters. People, research tells us this. They'll pay more. They have stickier relationships. They'll refer more business to you because they're part of something bigger. Now, one quick story I'll share with you. When I first became a financial advisor, I was a 25-year-old punk. I had no gray hair. I didn't have any credibility at all. And the idea occurred to me, you know, I really enjoyed helping with education in my local community. And so I began to give a student of the month and a teacher of the month award at my high school that I graduated from, Sam Houston High School in Arlington, Texas. And I would give a $25 gift card to the student 
and a $50 gift card to the teacher of the month. Well, you would have thought that these people had won the lottery. But for me, it was like, okay, no big deal. So I would take the picture with myself and them and the school principal and back in the day, put this in the newspaper. Well, I began to get phone calls from people saying, hey, Derek, we would like you to be our financial advisor. And after this happened a couple of times, I finally said, if you don't mind me asking and being blunt, why did you call me out of all the advisors in town you could have mm-hmm. worked with? Why Derek Kinney? And they said, Derek, we know there's lots of advisors, but we, we've heard good things about you. But more importantly, we like how you support education because we like education. I think we'll work together really well. And what began to happen was this was an epiphany for me that, wow, by giving back to my community and not even doing it with a profit motive, it attracted people who also had the same solution that they wanted to provide to this problem. And they wanted to work with me. So I began to attract some wonderful clients who sought me out as I was doing what I was passionate about, helping with education, helping solve that problem. Clients helped me solve their money problem as well. So if you have a business right now, your generosity purpose, I think, is the number one thing you can do to stand out in your community as the insert your occupation of choice in your local community. Yeah, I I, I love that. I I just I think the power of giving, I always talk about it on the show. And I talk about it with my students getting so clear on, you know, we have a tradition to tithe. And, you know, we educate our kids like that. And it's just at, at the beginning of the conversation, it brought me back to conversations that we have with our children about what are the causes that are meaningful to them? You know, when they get this birthday money or money from babysitting and they take out that 10%, what is it going towards? And the most beautiful conversations, we're all individual and things that, you know, are meaningful to my children might not be the ones that touch me the most, but that is the beauty of this, right? You get to know yourself and what, you know, everybody's so unique in this area. I think it's beautiful, especially as business owners to really tie it to our business. Now, Eric, I have to ask you because we're talking here about making more money and making a lot of money, right? Because it's good and we're attaching meaning to it and all of it. So many people struggle with, or not struggle, I shouldn't say struggle, but so many people come when you ask them, well, how much do you want to make? You said, you know, I want to make more. Very often we also hear, well, I just want to make enough. Mm -hmm. I just want to make enough so that my family's comfortable. Like, I don't need a lot of money. Like they go like, yeah, just enough. Right. And I always wonder, like, what is with this enough? Like, why not a lot? Like what, what, what's, what's going on here? No, no, no. You don't you want to make a lot so that you can help the world? Like there's more to life than just so my family can get by. What, what, do you see this often? And how do we work this out? Well, let me give you my theory on this. And it's most of us as humans want to always have an understanding of an issue. And mm-hmm. so if we can't understand it, we tend to create a story that fits the narrative that we believe. And so let mm-hmm. me give you an example. So let's say that someone in your example there that said, I just want to make enough. Well, what they're really saying, if you really delved in and had coffee with them and asked them some deeper questions is, I don't know how to make more money. Mm. I'm actually scared to make more money. And I don't know how I would possibly do it. Therefore, I'm just going to accept my lot in life in terms of how I see myself right now. And that is, I just want to make a little bit of money because what that does, it doesn't put themselves out there too much. And by making a little bit, there's really no spotlight on them. And so, especially for that person. And and when I think about the person you just described, that's who I wrote my book, Good Money Revolution for Mm -hmm. is it's people who have thought to themselves, I just can't make more money or I don't know how to make more money. I want this book to be a conversation like you and I are having coffee together about let's examine your past money beliefs, what has held you back, and until you breathe your last breath, don't die before you're dead. For goodness mm-hmm. sakes, mm-hmm. You know, you're doing the world a disservice. And, and what I would tell you is everyone listening has a talent and a belief that someone else can benefit from and oftentimes will pay them because it will help improve their life. You know, let me tell you another, another story. I had a client come in the office and they were really desperate about knowing how much it would take for them to be able to retire. They had listened to all the different pundits on TV and radio and they told them, (laughs) 
you know, you need to have 60% of your salary. You need to do this and that. And they said, Derek, we're so frustrated. Can you tell us exactly what to do? And I said, Mm -hmm. in my experience, there's only one way to answer your question. That is, you need to live on a practice retirement budget. Mm -hmm. Well, they had never heard of this concept. And I said, look, you can do all the rules of thumb. You can do whatever people tell you to do, but you have to live what's going to be best for you and your story. So we decided to pick out a number that they felt like was reasonable for them to live on. And these people were hardcore. So check out what they did. We set up a separate checking account at the investment firm I was with, and they direct deposited both of their paychecks into this checking account. And then we then direct deposited back to them what they said they needed to live on. So this was like in real time, truly living on what they wanted to practice. Okay. So I said, let's test this for three months, take good notes on it. They went around the country, did all that they wanted to do, came back in three months later, and they realized, Derek, within about a couple hundred dollars, we're going to be okay. Now, what that did for them was they had to live on it to know it was going to work for them. And it took away all their worry. They actually could retire a couple years earlier because they tested it and they removed all the surprise. And so what I would tell people right now is, look, if you're working full time Mm -hmm. and you're in a job where you can get a raise, implement what I just told you. Take the book. I give you the exact conversations to say it's all about adding value. But many people right now, let's say that you're a teacher Mm -hmm. or you're a cop, you're a firefighter you're a pilot, you work in a field where you can't get a raise except based on merit. You know, you might be the teacher every parent wants their kid to have, but because it's based on seniority, you're stuck. And you might complain, well, Derek, what can I do? And I said, well, either keep teaching and create a side hustle or change careers. Well, most teachers say, Derek, I love teaching. So I get that, but I want to get paid more. Well, the economic reality, let me just be very candid with your listeners right now and say, look, the economy is telling you right now, whatever you're getting paid, that's what they say you're worth. Now it's not fair and it may not be right, right. but does, does it make sense? An athlete gets paid millions of dollars and a teacher gets paid $50,000 a year. That's just the economy telling you what you're worth right now. So I want to give you some tools to get paid more money. Now, if you're a teacher right now, what I would do is ask you this question. In your normal course of your day, what do you typically get asked by other teachers to help solve? Mm -hmm. Do people say to you, you are so good in classroom management. How do you get those students to behave so well? Or you handle such a complicated topic like biology and teach it so well. That becomes a framework that you could teach other teachers around the country on how to do that and develop an income stream for you. The bottom line is I want you to leave this podcast not stuck at the current income you've got, but realize you've got to do something different to get a different result, but the tools are there. It's in my book and you can implement it very simply. So the 2022 is the year that you finally made the income you feel you deserve. Yes. Amen to that. Everybody mic drop moment. Yes, absolutely. It reminds me of a conversation I had exact, very similar scenario. We had a guest here on the show, Connie Wolchansky. She's actually been here twice. She was a teacher and she was a very good teacher, but she was very frustrated with her income. Yet she was excellent at systems and, and class just developing systems. I don't know exactly right. how to describe it. She's more of a consultant. So she started giving these lectures on how to train teachers and creating the systems. Well, lo and behold, she realized I have something here of value. And now she runs a seven figure business running schools of excellence and training um, teachers. She hasn't been in the classroom for years, but she trains educators on how to build the classroom system. So it's really fascinating. Um, and she's found her son of genius. So everybody, we, I think Derek, what really, what we need to be doing is understanding that God is infinite and the possibilities are infinite. Our potential is so much greater than we believe it is pretty much because of things we heard growing up and because of the fears of those around us that were projecting, right? No, you got to stay safe and you got to go get this job and don't take too many risks and all the things, right? But we got to get out of those stories as you 
very clearly said to us earlier. I'm curious about your own stories. As we both know, so much of how we behave as adults, um, you know, has to do with what we saw as children around money. Were there any any lessons that you were taught as a child that impacted your behavior, whether it be negatively or positively, but that you feel had a strong impact? Any any stories there? Yeah, I'll share a personal story with you. And that is, you know, my mom and dad were always very encouraging to me. We didn't have a whole lot of means, but we had a lot of encouragement. Okay. Mm-hmm. And my dad would always be interested in growing his income. And he would study ways. He joined several places where he could do that, but he never actually did it. And what I realized was my first job out of college, I discussed this just briefly earlier, where I was at a small software company and I'd gotten passed over for a raise, which really upset me because I had worked equally as hard as everybody else. I was just the one marketing person as opposed to all the engineers in the room. Mm -hmm. And I realized, you know, Derek, This is that moment that my dad faced when he was younger. And that is, I can either stay in the corporate realm and rely on someone else every six months or every year to tell me what my raise is going to be. And they define my worth, or I can take the risk and launch something on my own. Okay. So I decided to take the risk. My dad chose the safe path. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what I learned is that even if you take the safe path, Do not feel, if you're listening right now, that you can't encourage other people to take the risky route Mm -hmm. and to bet on themselves. So don't think that because you didn't do it, that holds you back from encouraging people to reach their full potential. My dad would often marvel before he passed away. He said, Derek, how did you become so successful? And I said, Dad, it was just a matter of taking risk, betting on myself and believing that I could do it and, and anticipating adversity along the way. So that's the first story that I would tell you. And I say mm-hmm. that in the hopes of encouraging, because many people listening may have thought, you know, I, I want to have that same uh, ability to take a risk. But I would just say, look, you can take that now, even in minimal doses, you can take the risk and begin doing something new to create the income you want. But yes. let me tell you this, a per, even a deeper personal story. You know, if you look at my, my nose is, is a large nose. And I was teased a lot as a kid. And we moved around six times before the sixth grade, which didn't help as my dad would lose jobs, change jobs. And I was teased a lot in elementary school and junior high and high school. And I had an idea. My mom gave me a book by a woman named Judy Zarefa. The book was called Go For It. It was basically a book about surviving the teenage years. And there was a chapter called How to Be Popular. And it was talking about... How to, how to make friends, how to listen to other people, how to be interesting yourself. And I had this crazy idea to run for office in high school. So my junior year, I launched a campaign to run for student body president. Now, I was a nobody with the heart of a somebody, okay? And, and what I realized was there were all these groups of people throughout the school. There was the rock and roll crowd, the, you know, the country Western crowd, the athletes, the band, the, you know, the, the academic crowd, but everybody stuck to themselves and nobody really interacted. It was a bunch of silos. And the idea that I had was I would reach out to the leaders of each of those organizations and say, look, I want to get a picture of me shaking your hand and you endorsing me to be student Congress president. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I get these pictures done. We make these posters and and it says, for example, the rock and roll crowd, hey, let's rock the vote, you know, vote for Derek Kinney. And then I had the person's name there. Well, I put these posters up where everybody hung out and there was a buzz in the school for weeks because suddenly now people who were the invisible people now had a voice and I was helping them create a voice. And so out of five people, we actually won the election that day. And it was amazing how when a bunch of nobodies come together with a purpose, they can be a somebody. Mm-hmm. And I, I say that because that risk that I took helped me then in business later on. Right. But I want to tie that to all of you listening. And that is whatever your age, whether you're, you're 25 right now or you're 95, ask yourself, what can you do right now to bet on yourself? Self. We only get one life on this earth and we want to make sure that it counts for something. What I don't want you to do is be there on your, on your dying day and look back and say, if only I had done this mm-hmm. until 
you're dead, don't die. That would be the message I would have for people. And look, let's take advantage of these opportunities. And also, it's so critical to share with your family and even your your grandkids, you know, here's some money mistakes I made. So many people think that if I wasn't good with money, I can't teach anybody anything. Mm-hmm. But my kids, if I if I tell my kids, boy, dad really screwed up today, they are all ears. It's guaranteed to get them listening to what dad has to say that day. Yes. Talk, talking about that, um, it can't be that it was all um, rainbows and unicorns there. <laughs> Any financial failures that <laughs> you want to mention? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. I, I made a couple, you know, financial uh, blunders along the way. One is, you know, I, I've always bet on myself in terms of investing and, uh-huh. you know, buying into crypto and these kind of things. I've made some money but also I've lost a fair amount of money as well. And it, mm-hmm. it became what I call recency bias, where you make a good decision and you think, well, I've got the hot hand, nothing can go wrong. Well, all that really matters is you just made one good decision. It doesn't mean your next one's going to be equally as good. Right. And so that taught me a lesson of, okay, Derek, let's take a look and look at the big picture here. Uh, but also when I think about investing, you want to make sure that you recognize this is hard-earned money that you're investing with. Mm-hmm. And you want to take advantage of those opportunities. You know, I think looking back, would have been better for me to sell my practice earlier, maybe. Mm-hmm. But those are things that ultimately you just have to make the decision to go forward on. And so, you know, when I think about my own money beliefs, I didn't see my parents model, hey, let's go make money. And so what I try to do is find other people who are successful in making money and learn from them because it's just a craving I have. So I guess in answer to your deeper question, what I'm very aware of is that I will make more mistakes in the future. And when I make those, I know there's an element of grace that I'm going to give myself ahead of time and recognize that to be successful and to be someone who's achieving, you're going to be encountering more mistakes than most people. And so if you yes. can embrace that and not be derailed by it, it helps you. You make a mistake, you get back up, observe, what could I have done differently? Maybe write down a note or two, and then you keep charging forward again. Mm-hmm. And that's the key point, right? Successful people have a bias towards action. Yeah. That's really where it's at. It's interesting that you mentioned the the crypto blunder over there, because I I, I would assume that Derek, the, the financial planner, would have never told them. <laughs> They're his clients. Yeah, let's put some money into crypto right now, right? Um, but yet we, it's 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 interesting. Um, yeah, when it comes to investing, we I think we have to know what we're doing um, and uh, don't invest in things that we don't fully understand. <laughs> right, and, and to that point, you know, I, I talk about this in the book that there's really four lanes of investing. You know, to yeah. make it easy. There's if you drive on the highway, whether you drive in that red hot Mustang or you're in the Honda Accord, whatever your style is, there's the far left lane, which is your checking and savings account, very conservative, easy to get to. The next lane is that three to five year lane. Maybe it's saving for the dream house, dream vacation. I want to get out of debt. The next lane is that retirement lane, long term money, big blue chip, dividend paying stocks, real estate, annuities, whatever Mm -hmm. the case may be. And then the far left-hand lane, as we know, is typically that fast lane. It's where people right. get the most tickets, they speed. I call that the play account. The play and so money. there, mm-hmm. yeah, so there, I think, and I actually recommend people to do this, toss a little bit of money periodically into Ethereum, into Bitcoin, yes. because consumers are adopting this. We may not understand how it all works, but it's definitely a trend for the future. But also, let's say that there's, you know, you, you see your son or daughter wearing a certain brand or using a certain phone. And you have to realize that times about a million mm-hmm. is probably who else is buying it. So right. those would be some stocks or investments to look at as well. So you want to be diversified, but the play account can meet an emotional need that many investors have. When their advisor just says, play it safe, do this. Sometimes they want to take a little bit of a risk. Yes. So put a little bit of money there. And sometimes you hit it big. Other times you lose it all. But it doesn't but play money. the rest of your retirement. It's <laughs> right. play money, exactly. And it's not your child's education. It's not your child's wedding. It's not That's your right. health care in the future. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, any financial habits that you practice religious, quote unquote, religiously? 
that you're really particular about? Well, one of the habits that I've got is, you know, being true to myself. And that is, mm-hmm. I, I like to make money. And so I realized to make money, you have to put money at risk. And losing money is part of making money. Okay. Yeah. In other words, if I'm only just making money, what that means is that I'm not in places where I can make even more money. Mm-hmm. And so one of the lessons I've learned is that let's say that a portion of my account is very, very aggressive, which it is because I, I like the risk tolerance there. I like taking advantage of opportunities. Sometimes if a stock goes down to a certain level, some people would say, oh, just hold on to it, buy and hold. What I look at is, is that stock going to come back up at right. the same rate as another investment might come back up? So about mm-hmm. half the time I might sell it and examine what are the tax benefits or, or opportunities there to do that, mm-hmm. move into something else, and then make it back up again. So it's always a game of how do I make more money, but you've got to be actively engaged. And what I would tell people is these days, there's no shortage of news in terms of how to invest. Mm-hmm. And people could watch CNBC and they've got 10 economists <laughs> on every day. And you think they're going to provide clarity, but each one has a different story to tell. And you turn the TV off even more confused yes. than you started it. So what I tell people is find one, maybe two voices that align with your values, that align with your risk tolerance and follow what they say to do. Don't just follow it blindly. You're not no. the sheep heading to the slaughter here, but you want to have one or two voices that you trust in addition to your voice and make decisions in a very tight circle as opposed to seeing which way the wind blows because you could really lose money that way. Yes. Speaking of which, since you were in the industry for so long, maybe it'd be worth for you to share with listeners what to look at when looking for a financial advisor, because that's one of those things that still is a little bit, um, maybe almost taboo, like, well, it's not for me, it's for the rich people. Whereas, you know, just like therapy is not for crazy people. (laughs) You know, I always say that analogy, you don't go to therapies because you're crazy. You don't go to the financial advisor because you're rich. So it's kind of the same idea. The financial advisor really should be accessible to everybody. But there are, you know, there are best practices when hiring a professional. Yeah, I think of a financial advisor as a friend for your finances. Mm-hmm. And, and what I mean by that is when people think about their money, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. One of my very first clients who ever came into my office, I was probably 26 years old, and I could tell both spouses were nervous about being in the office with me, a financial yeah. advisor. And so I asked them, I said, is something bothering you? Can I help you make you feel more comfortable? And so she finally said, Derek, I feel like I'm standing here naked in front of you Mm. and you can see our entire lives. And when she said that, that gave me perspective that I used for the next 24 years in my practice. And that is some people come to an advisor because they're motivated, other people because they're scared of what their life could look like if they don't have a plan financially. Mm-hmm. And so what I would tell people as they interview advisors, and that's how I would think about this. You want to find someone who has recent relevant experience solving your problem. Mm-hmm. So if your problem is I've not saved enough for retirement, I'm behind. You want to work with someone who's worked with other people who have not saved enough for retirement and are behind and can tell you their stories. Not just here's what I would do. You want to tell, ask people to say, tell me about a relationship with a client that you help them catch back up on retirement and how they're retired now. Mm-hmm. And you want to listen to what they say, but also you want to ask yourself, is this a person that I like mm-hmm. and I would trust to hand over my hard earned money, not for them to invest it, but to walk alongside me in a relationship long-term. So, you know, these days people can go with some of the FinTech companies. They can do everything online. They can work with an advisor. But what I would also tell people is not everyone should work with a financial advisor. Now, that may be heresy to many people, but uh, many times as I talk with people in my practice, I would have what I call do-it-yourself or clients that would come in. And they would have the spreadsheets and everything they had. And they said, Derek, what should I do? And I said, well, what is the greatest service I could provide for you? 
And they would say, I just want a second opinion. Mm-hmm. Well, I would give them some advice. And what I realized my gut would tell me is, Derek, do not take them on as a client. They simply want your feedback, but they want to keep doing this themselves. You will do them a disservice if you take them on as a client. Well, early on, I made the mistake. I would take on people like that as clients. And within six months, they were frustrated. I was frustrated. They didn't really want my advice. They just wanted to be sort of patted on the back and affirmed with what they were doing. So Mm -hmm. I would tell them, you know what? And they, they, they were shocked at this. You know, I will do you a disservice if I take you on as a client. Mm-hmm. Here's, here's some advice. You keep doing what you're doing. If you have any questions, call me in the future. But that would help make them uh, happy and get on track, but also not take away my resources from people who really needed my help. Right, right. And that's a good point to understand that it's not all or nothing. When you're working working with a fiduciary, you can just pay for several consultations. If you're the DIYer, I, I happen to be one, right? Yeah. Just to check that things are moving in the best and the most optimal way based on who you are and what's your risk tolerance, all that. That's 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 a really good tip. Um, Derek, I want to ask you going back to this book, what has been the reaction now that the book is out um, with people? Because we are calling it a revolution. And, and I, I feel like yeah. that's pretty accurate. <laughs> it's pretty revolutionary. Um, what has been the feedback from people? Well, it's been extremely positive. It's been, let me just say it's exceeded my expectations. Mm -hmm. And the reason I wrote this book is I would always think about one person each day who I had met in the course of my life. And I was writing the book for them. Right. Just like if, if I'm on this podcast with you or on TV, I'm always picturing one person who I can help in this interview. And I was thinking about, as I wrote this book, people who have villainized people who have money or that have been successful. You know, you think about if people have more money than you, then people are jealous of that. And they say, you know, you have too much money. You need to share that. Well, the bottom line is it often just comes down to jealousy that just because they have one more dollar than you, you want it to be all equal. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to give people the tools as opposed to complain and gripe and really villainize those people. What if I gave you the tool so that you could make more money and live the life you've always wanted, and no longer waste energy criticizing other people, but focusing on yourself and extracting the belief and the potential inside of you to go make more money and do more good. I mean, we only have a certain number of breaths and brain cells that we get to use on this earth. I want them to be focused on helping you be the best version of you. So that's why I wrote this book. And, you know, it's been received really, really well. You know, this actually, as we record this, this is four weeks that the book has been out. And I'm thankful to God for this. It has appeared on the USA Today bestseller list. Nice. It was number two on the Wall Street Journal list. And and all of that means I don't take uh, accolades in those lists, but it just means that the message is getting out and people are embracing the message. And my desire is, You know, each person listening to this podcast, they buy the book, they implement it. You know, the book is like $23 on Amazon. You're going to make 10 to 20 times that Mm -hmm. if you get a raise and add value and you're actually feeling more confident about yourself. And that's my goal is how do we empower you to finally get paid what I believe you deserve? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Does it apply also for entrepreneurs, Derek? I presume so, right? Yeah, the book has been called a marketing book for Mm -hmm. entrepreneurs. And it's a way to stand out in a crowded marketplace. For example, if you're starting a business right now, you know, COVID has not just affected people's health, it's affected how they think about their wealth. Yes. And they, they want to attach meaning to their money. They want to tie a purpose to their profits. And right now, if I were launching a business right now, brand new, I would on my website and any dialogue I have, I would talk about, hey, we provide great insert product name to help you solve this problem, but also a portion of all of our proceeds goes to help solve this problem in our community or the world. And by doing that, you're positioning yourself as a giver in business. And we know, especially, you know, this younger generation, they're willing to pay more because they're buying a product or service that helps make the world better. So I can't think of a better book 
for any entrepreneur or business owner than Good Money Revolution, just because that the generosity purpose yes. is what people want right now. And it gives you a fresh conversation to have with each of your customers and clients. Yes, yes, absolutely. And it's the time is perfect. We're in the middle of this great reshuffling, great resignation. Um, so much of this is so timely. I want to ask you one last question before I let you go, because we've talked about ourselves and all of this starts with us, right? The work is inner work, right? It's a not yes. focused let's stop focusing on the systemic issues or your neighbor's bank account, just focus on what you need to do. And that then everything else will be get taken care of. But we're in a marriage, let's say, Derek, and this you might have seen over so many years in practice. And maybe we're in this growth journey, and we're really loving everything you're saying, and we're devouring the book, and we're implementing, and we're attaching meaning, we're, we're attaching ourselves to a cause, and we're doing all the things. But perhaps our spouse is kind of stuck, and like their beliefs are just so negative, and there's so much work there. How do we, how do we reconcile when these two individuals have to work together because at the end of the day in a, in a marriage in a committed relationship the finances are you know you know you might split them but they're pretty there's a lot that gets meshed up there's a lot that is combined how do you how do we work with how do we help people there well i think it's important to look at the other person and really understand them and for them to feel like they're being heard mm-hmm. you know one of the things i often talk about is this whole concept of financial infidelity Mm-hmm. We've got one person who's doing things financially that's not necessarily meant to harm the partner, right. but it's an addiction or something that they have to feed something that's missing in their own lives. Mm-hmm. And it leads to credit card debt, borrowing, all kinds of right. things. And so I think if we can begin to look at our spouses and our significant others as, you know, this is someone who I love and care for, and do I want to attack them? or seek to understand them. And I'll tell you a story. There was a couple that came into my office a couple of years back and they want, the female spouse had committed financial infidelity and she had racked up, get this, $65,000 of credit card debt that she had managed to hide from her husband. Wow. Well, you can only imagine how her husband felt when he discovered this. He felt betrayed he felt like he wasn't cared for. He felt uh, really just uh, violated at a mm-hmm. deep, deep level. Mm-hmm. And so what I began to coach them through was, okay, the reality is she spent $65,000 of your money on things you didn't know about. Mm-hmm. And I began to talk about how does that make you feel? And so mm-hmm. he began to, Derek, and I feel angry. I feel upset. I feel frustrated. I feel violated. And then I asked her, how does this make you feel hearing him talk about how he feels? And she was like, it frustrates me. I love him. And, and, and the bottom line was there was a recognition on both sides of themselves. She didn't do this to hurt him. She was doing this to fill a need inside of right. her. Right. And so part of this is all about if you can get deeper into the relationship. A lot of people think that if somebody doesn't agree with me, I'm going the other way. Mm-hmm. But if you can go into it, if you can go into the mud, if you can go into the mess and go into the uncertainty, that's where the best relationships are formed is through conflict, Yes, is through forging different opinions. And so is it right for everybody? No. Am I a counselor? No. But I just know when people feel really heard and listened that's the first path on the way to healing. And mm-hmm. if things are more difficult than that, which oftentimes they are, I would encourage you as a couple, go to a counselor, go to someone who specializes in money issues because people yes. think, oh, money, we've got to solve this ourselves. No, no. And it's not just because you're on the door of ending the relationship. Don't wait until that point. You know, I've gone to counseling before, as has my wife and I, as a tune-up. We want to keep the engine firing on all cylinders and not wait till the engine blows out before we go to the counselor and it's too late. So just think about money as a tool, but just like, you know, I've got a teenage son and we've got four kids, one one left here at the house. And I find that if I go on the attack with him, he shuts down. But if I ask questions and I seek to understand, I'm much more likely to get some information that will inform me of what the next move should be. 
do that with your spouse and significant other, and you're likely going to find much more favorable results. Yeah. Yeah. You build that empathy, which is so empathy. Yes. 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 Key. Well, Derek, much, much success on this book. Tell us where we can find you and connect with you. Yeah. So you can go to goodmoneyframework.com and that's our website. We have a big also Instagram presence, which is a Derek T. Kinney. And we update new content every single day. And the goal is today, how can you make more money and really make the money that you deserve? And on that link for people listening right now, I'm giving away the first five chapters of the book for free. Oh, you cool. Click the clad link. We, we want to we get this message into as many people's hands as possible. You can buy it on Amazon as well. And we'd like that, but definitely take advantage of the first five chapters for free to get you hooked and get the message inside where you're making the money that you deserve. Amazing. Thank you so much, Derek. Looking forward to what's next. I'm sure there's going to be many more exciting books And thank you so much for coming on the show. Well, my pleasure, Joel. I have really enjoyed this conversation and uh, hope that uh, it benefits a lot of your listeners. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you so much, Derek. Thanks to Derek Kinney for stopping by. His book again is Good Money Revolution, How to Make More Money and Do More Good. You can find the book on Amazon or anywhere books are sold and connect with him at goodmoneyframework.com. And you can over there grab some nice bonuses that come along with the book as well. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcast and leave a review and rating. That really is the best way to help the show. Actually, I'll tell you another really good way to help the show is you can forward the link to this show to this episode or any episode um, to a friend or a family member whom you love and think will benefit from learning about money and from the conversations that we have here. As always, I will be taking your questions on Friday, so be sure to send those in. You can do so via WhatsApp, 832-317-6778. You can DM me on Instagram at Yael Trush, or you can email me, Yael at Yaeltrush.com. Thanks again for being here and being a part of the show. I will be selecting a reviewer of the week this Friday, as I try to do every Friday during our Ask Yael episode. So be sure to leave a review as well, and you might get selected for a 20-minute session with me. Always fun to do that. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week, and remember, your Jewish money matters. Oh,